Welcome back to the Red Dice Stories with John and Hannah. Hi. And today we're going to be talking about why you should put a crashed spaceship or giant robot in your D&D games. Okay, so you're probably thinking, surely D&D is a fantasy game, but robots and spaceships are sci-fi. Why would I want to like cross the streams, so mm-hmm. to speak? Now, I can entirely understand that point of view. And if you're running a more serious tone fantasy game, it might not always be appropriate. But there are at least some good reasons to, you know, just consider it a little bit. And to clarify, I'm talking about honest-to-goodness spaceships, not the fantasy vessels featured in Spelljammer. Nothing wrong with them. I love me a bit of Spelljammer. But they're sort of more firmly wedged in, like, the fantasy side of the equation, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to go into, shortly, a few reasons why you want to include them in your game. But I'd be remiss in bringing up this topic if I didn't mention the module Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. Now, this is a module written by Gary Gygax in 1980, and it had a more sort of like space fantasy vibe than the later tone that would be adopted by D&D. It takes place in a crashed spaceship where the crew have died of some sort of unspecified disease. The players have to contend with like this monstrous menagerie on board the spaceship, robots, strangely called access cards, as they're trying to sort of understand their surroundings through the lens of like traditional fantasy D&D characters. Now, work began on this module in 1976 when TSR was working on the game Metamorphosis Alpha that would eventually become Gamma World. And in order to try and sort of get people ready for that sort of space slash science fantasy vibe, they decided to put out a tournament module featuring a crashed spaceship based around sort of loosely on like Castle Greyhawk, but using the normal sort of D&D rules. And this scenario is what eventually became the Barrier Peaks. So why should you be putting robots in your game? Okay, well, there's a number of reasons. The first one I'm going to go for is that it hints at a much wider world. Now, in our modern world, even though there's no conclusive proof that alien life exists, it's generally accepted that the probability of humans being the only life form in the universe are Mm -hmm. pretty remote. Now, how much more likely is there to be more sort of alien races in the D&D world, where there's already hundreds of different species? So... This is something that I think I'd only want to put in if it was going to be a big thing. Because yeah, like, yeah. if you're going to have one random UFO crash on your D&D world, then surely the like species who that UFO belonged to are going to come looking for it at some point. Even if it's just a tourist that's gone off the beaten track, someone's going to come looking for him eventually. Yeah, but to use your analogy of a a tourist, think of how many people on our own world go missing and don't get found. And then you multiply that out by how much space there is and how many planets there are. Yeah, there might be people out there looking for them, but what's the chances they're going to find this small world? And that's another thing I like about it. You only need to lean into it as much or as little as a concept as you want. Mm -hmm. So if you're a GM and you're like, oh yeah, I really want to get into that, so we're going to start off with one spaceship, then we're going to build up to more of them appearing, you can do that. You can make that a major theme of your campaign world. Whereas if you just want to go, there's a crash flying saucer there, that's it. And you never want to like deal with any more of these. You just want it as like a a random sort of amusing little encounter or something a bit different. You can leave it at that as well. And no one's going to say oh, it's not realistic that there's no lot other aliens turned up, because it's like, well, yeah, but space is big. Another thing is, many people might say, well, all right, so I've got this ruined spaceship in my game. 
What if the PCs manage to like get it working again and they've got a spaceship under their control? Well, first thing I'd say is, what if they do? So what? I mean, if your PCs get hold of a working spaceship, I mean, it gives them the ability to move around, possibly leave your campaign world. However, it allows the GM to introduce all manner of new complications. How do they get food? Is there enough breathable air? How do they fly the ship? Is it fully functional? You only need to allow it to work or not as much as possible. If you don't want the spaceship to work, you can just say it's broken beyond all repair. Maybe they can get a few of the subsystems working, which you can represent as magical items. Because let's face it, you find like a strange cylinder that when you activate it, projects a beam of light out of it. Sure, yeah, we'll recognise that as a ray gun, but you could use the rules for magic wands just as easily. Oh, magic wand runs out of charges. Oh, that's the battery pack for your laser gun. So you don't need to bring in any new mechanics, and you you only need to lean into it as much as you want, as we said earlier. Now, if you don't want the spaceship to work, it, like I say, it can be broken beyond all repair, maybe they can get some bits working, but the ship as a whole, you can just say, no, it doesn't work. Plus, flying a spaceship would be pretty difficult anyway. I mean... Think of how long astronauts in the real world spend training and all the support teams and all the technology that goes into that. And it doesn't always work, as we know from history. Granted, in your D&D world, players have magical abilities and spells and that they can use to find out knowledge, but perhaps spaceship piloting's beyond those abilities. Well, as I say, this is something that I can't see being able to put in unless I was going to put it in sort of in the first three levels as a dungeon crawl, and then the players either take it themselves or hand it over to some authority, and sort of by about level 10, either you're going to want to take the spaceship for a test run, or somebody's going to come up looking for the spaceship. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it, it can be, as you said, it can be a good way to, like, a focus on a campaign world so you know if you want to do that sort of subversion of expectations where you want to start off as a fantasy game and then it sort of flips around and it becomes something different like science fantasy now if you know your players well you're going to know how they're going to respond to that whereas if you've got a group of strangers and you're like i'll pull up for like a normal D game then suddenly it becomes like D D track that they may not be quite so like up for it so you know you've got to, obviously you've got to be a bit sensible with it as a gm but if you're looking for a way to like shake up a stagnant campaign or introduce the PCs to another area of your world or even like new worlds entirely, a spaceship can do that. It's got you covered. And as you say, it could become the major crux of a campaign, getting it to work, working out exactly what it is. Could be a whole sort of arc of your campaign. And obviously, quite often, it's very difficult to come up with a, a sort of coherent reward for when you've done the big campaign arc in a game on what to do afterwards. So let's say in the standard D&D style campaign, you're trying to defeat the evil wizard who's uh, overtaking the land with his um, horde of orcs and whatever. You defeat that evil villain, you've got the gratitude of the free peoples of the world or whatever, then what? The GM has to either start building up another bad guy or they have to change direction in some way to like keep interesting, or they just wrap it up and you get a little apologue. Now, with this sort of spaceship campaign that you're sort of mentioning, the main plot arc could be finding and getting this spaceship to work. Then once you've got it to work, obviously your reward is already built in. You've got a spaceship. That is your reward. What do I do afterwards? Pick a point of light in the sky and go to it. And we've already got... And, and it's not a great ask for D&D either, because let's face it, 
We've already got Spelljammer, where you can travel crystal spheres to other worlds. We've got interplanar travel that you can do via magic and stuff like that. I mean, perhaps your ship doesn't even travel through space as we would know it in the real world. Perhaps it travels through the planes, so it could be an interesting way of doing that. So all the spaceship does is it allows you to do some stuff that you would do with high-level spells with technology. And now some people might say, oh, yeah, but that's sort of taking away from spellcasters because that's that's their niche. They, they have the magic that lets you do this. If you've got a spaceship, you don't need that. But as we've said, you have to put an awful lot of time and effort into working out how to use the spaceship, understanding it, having all these like accidents and incidents along the way. You're probably going to have to get the magic user to help you out. And it's only once you've done all of that and you're at the end of this big arc then you get the reward of, yes, we've got a, a spaceship. Now, if you're in a traditional D&D game, by the time you've reached that point, you've probably already got magic that would let you do that a similar sort of thing anyway. But obviously there's advantages with a spaceship. You know, weapons, you can take more people, stuff like that. It doesn't use your magic slots, blah, blah, blah. So it's a different way of doing a similar thing. Plus, it's an interesting puzzle for the players to work out. Now... Obviously, if you if the players are just wandering along and you say, oh, stuck inside the hill is a spaceship, that's not really much of a puzzle. You know what it is. You know what your expectations are. Happy days. However, if you describe just what they're seeing through the sort of lens and in terms of the language player characters will understand, it suddenly becomes more of a mystery. So it's not like the point of a rocket. It's... A big metal tower. Exactly. T- take, for instance, like the PCs may no- not know what wires are in terms of our modern mm-hmm. context. But if you describe a wriggling variety of thin, smooth, multicoloured tendrils with a strange sheen on them, it suddenly becomes much more interesting. And this can be cool as well because the players might have worked out that the silver sphere they see is a crashed spaceship, but their player characters don't have our sort of modern frame of reference. So... In a way, it's sort of like a good sort of like metagaming sort of like within the game. Sorry, I'm just laughing at the image of like somebody opening up a circuit box, seeing that it's full of strings and saying, hey, Bard, come and have a go at this. Exactly. I mean, having your player know something that your character doesn't and then being able to roleplay that can be a really fun thing because we sort of know out of character what it is but the player characters don't so you can have good fun sort of playing up to that and like i say it's it's a cool kind of sort of metagaming but one that sort of can enrich rather than negatively impact your game you've also got the mysteries we hinted at earlier how did the vessel arrive who built the who built the robot whatever where where are the crew of the ship are they dead like barrier peaks they died of some sort of unspecified disease um Maybe you're trying to unravel the origins of the crew, the ship, the robot. That could be another fun mystery to try and work out. And to me, it harkens back to a different time when the the sort of wars of the genres were not quite so rigidly enforced as they are now. So we tend to think of fantasy, whatever subgenre you prefer, as having set limits and things that are included in them. It's useful in some way because it lets you know what to expect. So if someone says, oh, you're going to be running a sword and sorcery game, there's probably going to be barbarians, evil magic users, serpent men, all that sort of stuff. However, there are numerous genres of fantasy that mix in different elements. Take um, urban fantasy, for example, like in fiction, which is very popular at the minute. That takes fantasy sort of archetypes and races 
and sort of blends them into an ostensibly real world sort of scenario and it becomes a little bit more interesting because it does that it's that little juxtaposition going on there and certainly when RPGs were first being created the people making them just took whatever influenced them and whatever they liked whether that was science fiction fantasy whatever I mean we know that in that AD&D it's got like a bajillion pages of pole arms because like Gary Gygax had a mad on for the pole arm that's the only reason it's in there so and when you look at like the um, Appendix N which is the famous list of all the sort of here's inspirational books you can look at in D&D first edition there's various different flavours of fantasy, science fiction and stuff like that covered in there. And we can still see a bit of that now. I mean, I think it's the, the Black Hack, as far as I recall, which is like a sort of modern-day iteration of a sort of D&D-ish game. And that has like a radioactive undead spaceman as one of its monsters. And it never out and out sort of like goes into the future tech, but it's obviously an undead spaceman who's like a bit radioactive. Um, we've got one of my favourites as well, the Mind Flayers in D&D. They've got that Cthulhu horror vibe for obvious reasons, but also they've got that weird sort of sci-fi feeling where they've got their, their fallen empire, which might be somewhere else in space or even in time. No one really knows. Also, introducing a spaceship or a robot creates an opportunity for chaos in your campaign. Now, obviously, this depends on like how willing you are to let players and things sort of mess up your campaign world but in one of the previous campaigns i ran one of my old school campaigns i found a map online of like this sort of like giant mecha like robot and i just had it next to a mountain and it was worshipped as a deity by the people of the village that were nestled around the bottom of it the player characters made it inside and they accidentally while they were messing about with it triggered the weapons of the robot which destroyed a nearby village now, unfortunately, we had to like, wrap up the campaign shortly afterwards due to like, unrelated reasons, but there would have been campaign consequences from that action. Mm-hmm. And obviously, they could like get certain materials out of it that wouldn't be present in the rest of the campaign world. But like I say, granted, in order to enjoy that, you really need to not be too precious mm-hmm. about your campaign world, but it can be a fun way of shaking up the game. And last of all, I'm just going to come straight out and say it, Giant robots and spaceships are cool. Let's <laughs> well, you can argue with me all you want if you don't if you don't like giant robots and spaceships, but you are wrong. Um, the fact is, there's a reason why like ancient toy franchises and games about robots are still going, and why there's so many sci-fi and alien invasion vessels. It scratches some particular like, itch inside us that like we respond to. So introducing that into your game can be a way to throw a little bit of a curveball at your players, but also bring something fresh to your game. I suppose it's also a way to do a lot of stories that are like less easy to do now, where you've got different racial groups, whatever, using alien... You know, your campaign world, you've made peace between the elves and the dwarves... The, the trolls and the goblins are getting on fine now. But then you've got a million new threats you can introduce from every star. That's it. If, if, you, if you've reached the point where like, every race in your campaign world are like hippie peaceniks, <laughs> they're all sitting down wearing like tie-dyed T-shirts, playing acoustic guitar, singing, Oh baby, I love your way, and they're all getting on perfectly fine. That's grand. You know, if that's what you like, fair enough. But that doesn't give you much opportunity for like conflict, in my opinion. But... Like you say, you can introduce these other threats from elsewhere. And if 
if you've already faced the, the biggest horror or the biggest baddie of your campaign world and you've beaten them, as we said earlier, it's very difficult mm-hmm. to then build up a another bad guy to be an equal threat. I mean, take, for example, I've sort of mentioned this a number of times, not in this episode, but previously, take the um, the Marvel film franchises. They they built up sort of Thanos as this like big bad guy. They did Endgame. They defeated the bad guy. Great, happy days. Everyone loved the film quality. But now, when they come in to like do more films, where do they go from there? Mm-hmm. Because you spent years setting up Thanos. If you just parachute another baddie in, no one's going to give a shit. Whereas if you go back to like stage one and start building up slowly again, everyone's going to be like, "Well, this isn't as good as the films we had a few weeks ago." Well, someone was saying something similar about the uh, Wakanda in the Black Marvel Panther. franchise. The way they appear and they're like, oh yeah, we're going to help people all over the world. But you don't actually see much help going on. I mean, I've not watched much of the Marvel stuff. Yeah, I mean, to, to be fair, I've got to admit, after the after sort of end yeah. game, I was like, do you know what? It's called end game. I'm fine. I, I'm, I'm done now. That's it. I, I was holding on to see Thanos turned up. He turned up. There was a couple of great films. Cracking. Now they're like, oh, what about a new Spider-Man film? I'm like, I'm good, Marvel. It's fun. I want Mysterio's in it. I'm what? N- not really bothered. Dingham, I'm sure there'll be some Marvel films that I will enjoy coming out, like, like a bit of Guardians of the Galaxy or whatever. But it's very difficult, once you've done that ultimate bad guy, to go somewhere else. And like, mm-hmm. as we said earlier, you could always wrap up the campaign and be like, that's it, it's done. But if you want to go on, if you beat the biggest bad guy in your world, what about other worlds? What about other planes? What about places beyond your campaign world? And if you don't want your players travelling to these other areas, what about bringing them to your campaign world? Like I said, like a crashed spaceship or like a robot or something like that. Maybe something has occurred and like an alien race you know maybe like the um the bugs out of starship troopers mm-hmm. lands on your campaign world mm-hmm. and starts trying to take over the campaign world and suddenly you've got to deal with an entirely like alien race which isn't like anything you've encountered in your campaign world previously and that could be a way of shaking it up and giving like a new lease of life to a campaign which otherwise might be sort of struggling along after it had finished its initial run it's like that whole thing of, you know, when you see TV shows and they they have, like, a plot arc that's already written out, then they, they finish that plot arc and you think, <laughs> oh, it's, it's probably going to get cancelled. And then, like, the studio, are like, that was pretty popular. Just reverse that dump truck of money up. Boop, 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 boop. And they're like, all right, yeah, we need to do some more series of this. Let's get going. But because they've had that initial sort of arc has already been done and everything's already been, like, wrapped up as much as they can... It's then very difficult to keep the same amount of momentum going. Yeah, Supernatural being case in point for yeah, that. Exactly. I think they originally had three or maybe five seasons planned. Yeah, and, and, and as it you, came back around again every now and then. But and as you know, I, I enjoyed it up until the point they resolved the original <laughs> plot with Lucifer, which I think was mm-hmm. the the original plot. And then I was like, great, it's done. I'm fine. And but they had the problem afterwards. So they were like, oh right, we beat Lucifer. Right, we've got to come with a slightly more powerful bad guy. Right, we beat that bad guy, now we've got to come with a slightly more powerful bad guy. Uh-huh. Till you get to the end where they're like, oh, literally, God's like the only person we can have and beat now. And that's how they wrapped it up, which is fine. I know people love the show and I've enjoyed episodes of it. Great fun. But 
How did we get on to ranting about power creep? Well, because we're talking about <laughs> instead of instead of just making the bad guy more powerful, you could use something like a crash spaceship or alien races to just shift the focus a bit. So this alien race you're coming up against, they don't necessarily have to be more powerful than the last bad guy, but they just have to be different. And because they're coming from outside and they're potentially a bit more sort of science fantasy style, they will feel different. And also you don't have the whole like problem of like, oh, so it's like a new warlord's like popped up with like another undefeatable army. Where's, where's he been? How's he been getting that big army together and like no one's ever heard of him? That doesn't make any sense. Whereas if you're like alien race landing, where have they been? In space. They've only just arrived here, so it solves that problem. Mm-hmm. And it, um, as we're saying, it might not be for everyone's game, but there's a few reasons why you should seriously consider putting a spaceship or a giant robot in your games. <laughs> now, you might want to get in touch with us. Maybe you'd love to tell us how you put a spaceship or a robot in your fantasy games. Perhaps you think I'm talking a load of old Tosh and you want to ring in and tell me. So feel free. You can do so in a couple of ways. You can leave us a voicemail message using SpeakPipe, a link down below. Or you can use our old Anchor account to leave us a message. Again, link in the description of this show. Or if you want to send us an email, you can do so at oddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you next time, take care, stay safe, and keep gaming. Bye.